We're here in the beautiful thrones of the Loch and Cork City Centre, uh, a glorious summer's evening. And I'm pleased to say Pierce McCarthy, 96FM newsreader, uh, joins me on the podcast. I mean, you can go back a long way with radio before you started newsreading, can't you? Yeah, I, uh, my, my love affair with radio, I guess, and I'm going to show my age up here now, began in the 1970s. I suppose going back to that time, we had two TV channels. Uh, we actually had one. <laughs> and radio-wise, pop radio-wise, if you wanted to listen to music, I guess I listened to the likes of Radio Caroline and Radio Luxembourg. And then I used to fantasize about doing shows for these stations. So I used to sit in my bedroom and I'd have a tape recorder recording me doing links. And then I'd have my brother's record player and I'd, that's what I would do. And I'd practice. And then I, at the age of 13, South Coast, there was the Super Pirates had kind of started in Cork. And the first big one was one called South Coast Radio. And you had South Coast and ERI. And I guess, in essence, stations like that were the ones that pushed the envelope and they're the reason that we have commercial radio now. So at the age of 13, I rang South Coast Radio and got to speak to the late, great Michael O'Brien. I kind of said to him, I loved radio. I'd like to answer the phone, take requests, just feel the environment. And most importantly, I told him I didn't want to be paid, which at 13, <laughs> slave labor that would have been, I guess. So he said, yeah, come on up. And Immediately, I felt at home there. And there was a jock that used to do the breakfast show on South Coast Radio called Don Stevens. And he was amazing. And he kind of took me under his wing and showed me how a studio worked, how to queue up records, how to... There was tape carts, cart machines back in the day. They used to play out all the ads. So then I'd come in maybe an hour early and for the last half an hour of his breakfast show, I'd run the desk and he would just do the links. And that's kind of how I really got the bug and then the following year, I went to work, as we're sitting here in the lock, just over from us here, there was a radio station called Radio Caroline. And it was a man had it in his mobile home out the back of his mother's bungalow. And he had all the jingles from the actual Radio Caroline taken, and you'd play them. And he gave me my first break on a Saturday morning. Teen scene from 11 to 1. Amazing. Yeah, um, I had the worst radio name. It's more like a porn name, really, you know, when I look back at it. Rick Stewart. Yes, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and stupidly enough, I had an English accent because I thought that was the cool thing to okay, do. Okay. <laughs> so after a few months then, I used to always be in and out to South Coast Radio. So I was given the opportunity to do an overnight, the graveyard shift on South Coast Radio on a Friday and a Saturday at 14. But I was told, change the name and drop the accent. Okay. Both of which I did. So then I became Mark Evans. And that kind of began it. Now, I then had to pull away from it because at the time... I was the youngest jock that was on air in Ireland, in the Pirates, but I guess my schoolwork started getting affected, so the parents stepped in. Uh, I thought they were spoiled sports, but ultimately they were doing the right thing. Kind of then it stopped, and I had no more to do with radio, I guess, until I moved back to Cork from Dublin. I was in my mid-30s, and I wanted a career change. I went around to random colleges around Cork and picked up their prospectus and I happened to wander into Cloche de Stefan Neffa and then remembered as I flicked through the book that they had a radio broadcasting course there. So I applied for that and I also applied for a photography course in a college in the city. Went for the radio broadcasting interview, got put on the waiting list, was kind of disappointed. Got the photography course, was due to start the photography course it was on a Wednesday or a Thursday and the night before Klaus de Stefan Neffa rang me and I'd got the course so delighted said sorry to the photography course you're gone 
And I went to Stefan Eiffel and in second year, the start of second year in September, I went up for four days work experience to the newsroom in 96 and I never left. Mm. I, find, I must admit, I find it fascinating how many radio, TV personalities started out in Pirate Radio in Cork as well. Like There's a strong tradition there. It must have been a great place to learn the ropes and get a real grounding in it. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I joined 96, I was the newest guy in the door. Yet I didn't feel that way because I had Trevor Welch, Ken Tobin, Nick Richards, uh, who else do we have? Rob Allen, Neil Prendival, Ferg, Fergal, like all these Barry O'Mahony, all these people had worked in Pirates in the 80s. Yes. And yeah, it was, because you know what? We had the, I guess we learned from the guys that came from England, the likes of Nick Richards, who was one of the last people to walk off Radio Caroline before it sank. So these guys were like, in essence, heroes. And here I am, this 14-year-old, working with these guys that I'd been listening to on you know, medium wave and crackly medium wave. And, you know, there was a whole romanticism with it. But it was wonderful because we had the opportunity, because ultimately it was illegal, so we could do what we want and we could make our mistakes and get on with it. But we were also providing the people of Cork an opportunity to listen to pop music. Yes. You know, because 2FM didn't get going until late 70s, very early 80s, yeah, late 70s. But prior to that, you had no other way of listening to pop music. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Now, before the likes of South Coast, TCLR and Capital Radio and all these in Cork, which I used to listen to, which, yeah, it was wonderful. And I guess it kind of laid the foundation for where we are now, mm-hmm. you know, personally and, I guess, commercially for radio. I'm wondering as well, like your voice, it's amazing to listen to, like it's real dulcet tones. And started in radio, you were probably, what, 12, 13? I, mean, I don't our, know if my voice is broken. Our, voice is bro- <laughs> our voices are breaking at that stage. And yeah. then you went to, to Dublin and stuff. Like, how much work had to go into your voice? Or is it very much just a natural thing? Like, Yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess it's a natural thing. I, I always put it down to when I was real little, my mother sent me to elocution lessons when I was four or five. Okay. And I was big into reading poetry and all that kind of stuff. So maybe, but sure, my, I was only a kid. It's just the voice, I guess, I was gifted with. Yeah. I, lo- I love all the um, the aliases. Uh, yours was Rick Stewart. <laughs> Rick Stewart. Trevor Wells. Trevor, Wells. Trevor, Trevor Stevens. Trevor Stevens, yeah. And, because, and how I always <laughs> remember that, because he used to do a show called The Snooze Cruise on a Saturday. And Trevor very much took me under my wing, under his wing. Uh, so I looked up to him an awful lot so it's kind of cool that here we are all these years later yes. we're all slightly older and greyer but we're still as youthful in our outlook uh, yet everybody still shares that same grow and passion for radio like th- now that we had back then I know running is a, is a big part of your life as well and you don't look your age we won't give your age out of course right, but you, don't, you definitely don't look <laughs> your age uh, talk to me about, about running how often are you out and do you do like marathons half marathons no 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 I cheat I'm a 100 metre sprinter that's, that's what I love really? I've always had a thing for 100 metres ever since I was little not maybe running in it but certainly uh, watching uh, I love the likes of Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson those massive jewels um, Bolt yeah you sound Bolt incredible um, I've just always liked the whole idea of and I, I guess you see it's more than just running 100 metres there's a whole technique behind it mm-hmm. so I would train yeah I train five days a week I'm probably up the track three or four days a week and then I would do I have an awful lot of equipment at home so I do an awful lot of kind of stuff then I'm only just back after an injury I had a really bad Achilles injury caused during lockdown it's what happens when you're running around corners in a car park that aren't built for running around corners took the corner too wide 
and an Achilles injury that can take up to 18 months. So I've kind of really struggled, but I'm just back. But more than anything, like you go back 10, 10, 11 years ago, I was 20 stone. Really? I was incredibly unhealthy. I had a heart attack when I just turned 40. 41. I had a heart attack when I was 41. And I guess I was told I was about 10 minutes away from dying. And at that time, it was a bit of a kick to get healthy, which I did for a period of time, but sure I fell off the wagon. Mm. And I was involved then in the music scene, managing bands, so a lot of late nights. And then about, well, nearly five years ago, my grandson will be five this summer. So when my daughter had him, and I always remember, we took a picture of four generations, my parents, me, my daughter, and my grandson, and I kind of thought to myself, you know what, I can be the fourth generation if I look after myself. Yeah, yeah. That was the kick to get back into it. And I kind of haven't looked back. It's, it's kind of like breathing to me now. Uh, well, credit to you. I mean, yeah, how much, how much change did you have to make to, you know, to make that change in your life? Like, it wasn't an overnight thing or it wasn't like, you know, these six weeks, these six week or eight week intense yeah. programs mightn't be for everyone. What, what worked for you, Pierce? Slowly does it. Yeah. And consistent. I was in it for the long term, so, you know, it took me a period of maybe four years to drop the weight. Like, I'm at the lowest weight now that I've been in in donkey's years. Mm-hmm. I still have a bit to go, and that's what I always say. You know, it's always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, it took, it took a while. Um, but the guy that uh, I now train with, he started as my personal trainer, and he's brilliant. Yeah. You know, he's got a cool way about him, and he just knew me. And knew the way it was but yeah I kind of had to like I had to say goodbye to an old life mm. and a funny story I remember must have been about three months into the health kick and a good buddy of mine was like you're not coming out anymore and I was like nah I'm done with it like we squared six we were known as the crane lane six <laughs> <laughs> when you're given a name by a place you know you're in trouble right <laughs> so he kind of said you're kind of really serious about this health kick thing aren't you and I said yeah I said people like you and I die in our early 50s and then we just become a story in a pub and I wanted to be a little bit more than that and unfortunately he's dead now Sorry, you know but I miss him but yeah I mean there has been he's gone there's another guy who's really sick so you know that kind of stuff takes a toll on the older you get you know and I, I just wanted to I, I just wanted a, a longevity in my life yeah. ultimately yeah yeah, no, that's really powerful. Like, and I didn't know that you had the heart attack. I didn't know that you yeah. were doing... I assumed you were doing, like, 10Ks or half marathons. No, man, I can't. 100-meter sprints, that's interesting. Yeah, it's... I, I like it. I guess the next thing I'm going to try and look to now maybe is look at running 200s. Okay. Um, but it's funny because you don't realise... You, you see 100 metres and you think it's nothing, but you grab a man on the street and get him to sprint 100 metres and he's going to... He'd be gone by 50 metres. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a whole. I didn't realise as much until I really got into it training wise. The technique that goes into it, you know, each session is broken down for different parts of it. You know, about five, because we always have a stronger side, so it's about getting balance on both sides and an awful lot of stability stuff. A lot of what you eat is as important as the training that you do on the track or in the gym as well. And like I would have been prone to liking takeaways. So that was a big one for me, was giving them up. Um, I'm a massive chocolate fan, 
So how I've kind of got around that is I'll bring a bar of chocolate to training and when I'm finished I'll eat it and it just burns it off. Colin Jackson, who was a 110 yes. meter hurdler, the Welsh guy, mm. he had a massive chocoholic, huge problems with chocolate. How we got over it, and that's how we got over it, so I kind of thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Or the protein shakes that I drink are chocolate flavour, so I'm kind of conning the brain yeah, into yeah. thinking I've got my fix. So there, there are ways around it, you don't have to kind of completely go cold turkey. Absolutely, I mean, the way I look at it is, you can't deny yourself stuff either, yeah. you know? You just got to be a little bit more careful and easy does it. But you can't, not at this age of my life. If I was 21 and I was wanting to run proper competitively, yeah, fair enough. But I'm 51, as well as enjoying where I'm at. I also have to enjoy a few little things, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I'd like to ask about your music days as well. Obviously, music is a big passion, but you were managing bands and that. Who, Who were you involved with? Oh, Lordy. Um, I was involved with quite a few bands. Uh, There was a very good band, Lenoco. Uh, They were fronted by a girl called Katie O'Connell. And that's why I got into music management. I came across her as a singer and decided I wanted to build a band around her. I just thought she had a real supreme talent. And we did. And we had... Sokdega had a... Like, the single was released. Got to number one in the rock charts in Ireland. Got number 22 in the actual charts which was, you know, a bit of a success. I managed a punk band who were still going called the Audible Joes. Uh, they were the first punk band to ever play Independence. That was our claim to fame that year. Um, a band called August Walk. They're a well-got band from down in Middleton. Um, a band called The Lost Gecko who are still going and still releasing. And I'm still very friendly with, um, with Malcolm. Um, there was also, who else? Oh, oh, oh. Dave, he's now in a band called Heavy Petten, but he was in a, Jesus, Raising Jupiter, that's it, Raising Jupiter, and like they were quite successful outside of Ireland, he got an awful lot of radio play in the States and Canada, but this was a guy who went back to the 80s, I mean he was heavily involved in the music, he was in a band called Gun in the 80s, they you know, released albums, toured the States, played all the Whiskey A Go Go, all the, the big. He was involved in the LA scene, would have been friends with Lemmy now from Motorhead and all that, you know, would have mixed yeah. with them. Would be f- still friends with guys who were in a band called Yes. Anyone who doesn't know who Yes were, mm-hmm. their biggest success was Owner Will Only Heart. Huge band going back to the 60s and they're still going, start to celebrate in 50 years. So, you know, it, it was fun. Um, Are you very much ringing up venues and, and spots then and festivals to, to, to get these guys gigs or are they coming to you kind of at the, at the time? At the time, no, we were, well, I guess as a band, were, as, as the bands were kind of becoming more successful, we had people coming to us about it. But yeah, it's a hard slog. Mm-hmm. Like at any one time, there's probably eight or nine thousand unsigned bands in Ireland, you know, oh, and, and a lot of them are really good, you know, and obviously you kind of look at things with rose-tinted glasses and the bands you work at work with you kind of feel that they're the best bands that are out there and you have to believe that but then since I stepped back there's loads of bands that are that good do you know what I mean it's so so hard and I guess I got so frustrated with the scene I decided to create a festival I ran a festival for two years then in Cork called 96 over 1 um, branding is why because I got 96 involved in it so it was originally 100 over 1 and the whole idea behind that was I said if you go out on a Saturday night 
there's probably one or two venues in the city where you'll get to see original music. So, so many people were missing out on what I was able to see. Yes. So I kind of thought to myself, do you know what? Wouldn't it be nice to take over all the venues in the city for one night, bring all this original music to the people that ordinarily won't see it, because the next Ed Sheeran or the next U2 could be there. And we're giving people the opportunity. And we did, and we've done it in three months. I got a festival team, a young festival team involved with me. And the first year, we didn't get 96 bands over when we got 88. And the second year, we spread it over a weekend and we had 104. But, um, yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, we were across 28 venues. We had a big stage outside the Opera House. And I guess that was one of the, the biggest achievements of, of the music career. We took over the city and the city rocked and people responded to it. And I remember the second year, especially because we said, right, we're not going to do a day stage on a Saturday. We'll do the two nights. So on the Friday night, I had seven venues. And town was quiet that night, except for those seven venues that were out the door. And that's when I kind of realised, people have an ap- appetite for this. Yeah. Um, you know that Dublin punk band that are after blowing up? Fontaine's DC. Yeah, they, 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 like, I brought them down for the two years. And the first year I brought them down, they had 126 Facebook likes. And they stayed in my house. But I knew they had something. And then the second year they came down, and again, they were great. Yes. So then, a couple of years later, to see them playing in Glastonbury, yeah. you know, they've been up for Ivor, Ivor Novello Awards, they've been up for Grammys, they've been up for Brit Awards. They're, they've just knocked it out of the park, really and it's great. Yeah, great band. That was a huge success. It must have been very, very satisfying. And I know, like, your, your burning passion for music, again, it was shining through during lockdown because you produced your own podcast, Four Play, which was really amazing I really enjoyed it I was speaking to Irish bands singer-songwriters about the four songs that mean the most to them I know Danny O'Reilly from the Coronas that's one episode that springs to mind but um, how enjoyable was that and will we see it return Pierce? Yeah uh, I'd say we probably will I keep saying no um, (laughs) but it's still there funnily enough I recorded four artists for season two and they're still unedited sitting in in a file in work I guess if even if I don't get a second season, I think I owe it to those people that I interviewed to to do it and put it out. Because ultimately, anybody who writes a song, the songs are their babies and they're very personal to them. And I kind of thought, and it didn't matter whether it was a known artist or an unknown artist, but if you ask them to pick the four songs that were most personal to them, you play the song, and then we talk about it. Yeah. And and I remember I had Stephanie Rainey on. And every 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 episode I did, it was all so different, but I connected with, with everybody. I guess I did my work. I mean, one episode probably took, ultimately, it was two days of research. Then I had the night of the phone call, and then I would have had two days of editing. So it was five days went into a, yeah. an episode, as well as having a full-time job. Right? Sure. And then I decided to go weekly for the crack. So... I was forever at it, and I guess I got a little bit burnt out. But I remember Stephanie Rainey saying to me, and she got it, and she, by talking about it, and when we played the song, she heard her songs with different ears, and Danny said the same, and I guess, to be honest with you, most people, it reconnected because, you know, they write the song, it goes out in an album, it's been played in the radio, they go, they tour it, they play it, they play it all the live gigs, but when you sit down and talk about the essence behind the story behind the song and then we listen to it and you could see it in them because a lot of it unfortunately had to be done by Zoom 
but you could see they were in, you know, they were listening to songs that they may not have listened to with those ears for years. And it just made for, I think it made for good, good podcasting. How has the media landscape changed, Pierce, over the last 20, 30 years? I mean, is it very much night and day when looking back to the pirate radio days to, to what it is like now? I think the one thing where I see the changes is, unfortunately, radio is very much music driven now. And to me, it's always radio should be about the personalities. Uh-huh. should be about the guy behind the mic. Yeah, the music is very important. But for me, the draw always was the voice, the personality. And back in the day, I guess because we didn't have social media, there was a little bit of romanticism in that you didn't know what the person looked like. So by hearing the voice, you created this picture in your head and you were always way off. Yeah. Like I remember this guy, Don Stevens, that I spoke about from South Coast Radio, the, the guy that I used to listen to, he had a real polished English voice. So I envisaged him to have silver hair and be wearing a suit. The guy was a hippie, he had long hair and a beard <laughs> and we're all denim. Yeah. Now radio is different in that, you know, as I said, it's music driven, but with social media, it's gone to, it's not just radio. Radio is now on multiple platforms. You know, a lot of guys are live in their studio and it's gone out on Facebook, it's gone out on Twitter. So you see them. And, and the one thing, and it's a little bugbearer that I have, is you have an awful lot of stations now getting in celebrities to present shows. And I just don't like it. My thing is leave radio for radio people. You must have many great stories. I know I was speaking to Moraid, your colleague Moraid, who <laughs> featured on the podcast uh, right. a while back. But um, I mean, there must be great stories from the the pirate radio days, or even the day to day in ninety six FM, or you know, not necessarily errors, but maybe there are words that you dread coming up, or names, or things like that. Oh, what springs God. to mind here? <laughs> Loads. Um, <laughs> even yesterday, I forgot a news. I forgot a headlines bulletin. <laughs> I don't want those days. Um, yeah, you do, because you see, the thing ultimately is it's all about words, you know. Uh, one of the hardest ones I had was former philanthropist Frank Flannery. <laughs> Put those four words together, yes. I messed it up. Um, no, but we've had, I mean, uh, the, with live radio, things go wrong, but the show goes on and you got to just rock on with it, you know. Um, the thing with me is you'll always know when something has happened because I smile. And my smile comes out in my voice. Um, a lot of, yeah, back in the pirate days, yeah, there was an awful lot of stuff went down. Um, one guy in particular who was a complete master, a brilliant jock in his day, he now works on a national TV station as a news guy. But he was a terror. Like, you could be... I remember we used to do on South Coast Radio, at the end of every week, we used to do this thing where we'd review new singles coming up and like he could light a newspaper on fire and stick it under <laughs> your feet and you kind of just had to crack on because it was live <laughs> our poor Fergal that's one of the producers now of the talk show on 96 as he was reading his news bulletin it got set on fire <laughs> stuff like that um, because pirate radio was illegal there was raids done when you're on air mm-hmm. um, nowadays it's a little less dramatic but we certainly have loads of fun uh, you know, everybody involved in radio, I don't care what anyone says, anyone who's on air, they're all attention seekers, so you're going to have a bit of crack. And speaking of that, I know like there's there's fun and there's laughs. Yeah. There's also a passion there and a sense of pride as well. I know like mm. several 
big stories over the past number of years, whether it's the um, the pandemic or whatever, like yeah. or local elections or the floods, the storms, things like that. Mm. There, there's a sense of there's, I suppose there's a buzz around that, and you're almost like a sports team, like rising to the occasion. Is that would that be accurate? Yeah, because I guess ultimately it's when we're in the midst of a crisis or when there's something big happening. It shows how important radio is, mm. and I'm not going to say the c word, but I'm going to say the big pause that we just went through. Yes. Never more so, especially at the start. I think it was very important radio, and a lot of people listened to it because. Unfortunately, in social media, there's an awful lot of misinformation. There's an awful lot of falseness. They tried to blame the media and say that we were concocting lots of things. We, I can tell you, for not everything you know that goes out on air in news is factually correct. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike Tracy or Karen on Facebook, who are the <laughs> experts. Because I always remember at the time, prior to the big pause, we had all those wildfires in Australia. And everybody was an ecologist and everybody was a wildfire expert and then suddenly come March everybody was a, a COVID expert and they, you know and and what I found very funny was how at the beginning it was this we're in this together and then we're in it to win it and then suddenly you know we went from standing on a Thursday night clapping nurses to blaming the medical profession for COVID and for vaccines and they're poisoning us and this and that. But it was funny because never have I worked on a topic that dominated everything. It dominated sport. It dominated news. I'm glad it doesn't dominate anymore. It's nice to move on and life has moved on. But over the years we've had, you know, the beast from the east. We've had weather incidents, the great flood in Cork back in, I don't know, 2010 or 2011, the plane crash in Cork Airport where people died. That was quite big. Uh, even the Queen visiting Cork, you know, lover or loather, it's a good sign that we've kind of moved on from the troubles that, you know, the troubled history we've had with the UK. And, and unfortunately, still parts of Ireland still have that troubled, you know, that it's not a history to them, it's a, it's, it's an everyday thing. But those, those kind of things, it's kind of been an honour. And, you know... You pride yourself on getting it right and getting it out, you know. We have a saying in radio, if in doubt, leave it out, because the worst thing is you can't say somebody's dead and then try and undead them an hour later. Yes. You know, you got to be right with what you put out and it has to be factually correct. But, yeah, there is a huge pride with it. You know, you know the people are listening. You know that what you're doing is kind of important and you want to get it right. You know, you have five minutes to tell people the stories of the day. So you want to, you want to get it right for them, you know. Does it grind your gears, Pierce, if you're out now for, I don't know, into the, into the shop for, like, uh, bread and milk or you're out for a pint or whatever and someone not only recognises the voice but they ask you, Will Pierce, any news? Oh, yeah, 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 that's... that's <laughs> Aaron, it does. <laughs> Do you know what? It doesn't grind my gears. I've heard it a thousand times but it's probably somebody's first time saying it to me. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I'll always give them the giggle in it. Aaron, you know, listen, it's, it's the job that we have. Yeah. You work in the public eye. I'm lucky I'm good at it because I'm not a whole lot good at anything else, you know. So, you know, it just so happens that the job I'm, I like and I love to do and, I, and I've never woken up not wanting to go in. Mm-hmm. In the 15 years now, I, I'm nearly with 96. I've loved every day. Every day is a different day. But no, absolutely not. I mean, as I said, anyone that works in radio is an attention seeker. So if I'm getting the attention, aren't I ticking the box? But no, nah, I mean, listen, it's, it, it is what it is. I'm just lucky that I, you know, I'm lucky and I'm blessed that I have the job where I have. A funny story, one night we were out and we used to do this thing years ago called the News Review 
where you'd review the news of the day and it'd be played out in the middle of the night, you know, it'd be played out because the talk show used to be repeated, kind of two, three, four. Uh-huh. So we got into a cab one night, me and my buddies, and the cab driver had 96 on, and next thing on came the radio. Very good morning and welcome to the news review. I'm Pierce McCarthy. So I turned to the cab driver and I was like, can you turn it off? And he was like, really? And I was like, yes, the guy wrecks my head. And he was like, seriously? He says, I, I, I think he's good. I was like, no. I said, you don't know him. He's an asshole. Like, I said, he's so up his own, so full of his own self-importance. I said, it's incredible. I said, he'd great you. Your mum was like, really? He goes, I'm so disappointed to hear that. He said, I like kind of listening to it. I was like, nah, nah. I said, you'd be so disappointed if you met him. I said, he's such, oh. And I went on a rap. My friends were in stitches in the back. And he was like, what are you all laughing at? And they were like, it's him. Listen to the voice. It's him. And but, you know, that's kind of my funny story. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us, Fierce. <laughs> Do you know, like away from music and, and radio, like yeah. sport is another passion, obviously. Huge. and. I was interested to learn recently that uh, American football, NFL, is a, is, a, is a big interest of yours. Like you said, that everyone became a, a COVID expert over the past few years. February time, everyone becomes a Super Bowl expert. Know, but um, you follow it all, all season through. Yeah, I've, I watched my first Super Bowl in 1983. Um, they used to show it on Channel 4. They used to have a highlight show on Channel 4. Uh-huh. And then they used to show the Super Bowl live. So I kind of got into it then. I've, I've pretty much watched every Super Bowl since then. So, yeah, I absolutely love it. I love the physicality of it. But more than anything, I guess because I'm into fitness as well, I really admire the athleticism of the guys. Yeah. What they do, like people would say, oh, but they're all wearing padded gear. There's not a whole lot of padded gear on it. Back in the day, they had a lot more padded gear than what they have now. But these guys are supreme athletes, yeah. like rugby players, supreme athletes. And, and I kind of laugh at the... Premier League stars of today, the soccer stars, football stars, who if you tip off them, they're rolling around like they got shot. And these guys, you could get hit by a guy who's 300 pounds, six foot eight, and can run 100 meters in 11 seconds. And he's hitting you full on. But I just like, do you know what it is too? I don't play chess, but I call American football human chess because it's about tactics. And it's the tactics is what I like. And I guess over nearly 40 years now watching American football, you can read things yourself. I'm watching plays and I just like, I find it so absorbing, but it's also very physical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever about the padding, you're going to feel that, that tackle, like, aren't you? Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, I was involved as, like American football is quite big. We have an American football team here in Cork That's called right. the Admirals. Yeah, yeah. We've also got a tag football team. There's two of them, the gang from UCC. And then there is the uh, the outlaws, and um, yeah, I mean tag football. Although it's not got the physicality of it, you have to be seriously fit, you know. And I had the opportunity. Like I trained with them, and I had the opportunity of becoming the oldest guy to play in the league. And as fit as I am for someone of my age, put me up against a twenty-year-old, and I'm in trouble. Like. <laughs> But it's great to see, and what's great to see is the sport has grown and a lot more people in Cork have really got into American football. And I mean, you have there's some big nights ran now when the Super Bowl is on. Yeah, it's really grown. I watched my first Super Bowl, I think, over the last few years, and yeah. I could certainly get behind it. Did you I like enjoyed it? it. Yeah, yeah. What do you like about Definitely. it? Definitely. Uh, again, the athleticism of it and the, the tactical intrigue of it, the plays, which is why you probably like rugby as well, you know? They're warriors, um, as they say. What is yeah. it that... Soccer is a gentleman's play, a game played by scumbags, <laughs> and rugby is a tough game played by gentlemen. That's an interesting take on it, yes. Do you know? And it is, because you look at, like, you look at the Premier League, no offence, 
vast majority of those guys, if they weren't talented in football, they'd be in prison. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Some of the crap that they get up to. Whereas the rugby guys, even the respect the rugby guys have for the referee, the ref's word. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. he'll... Uh, but I love the way the refs communicate in rugby and you can hear it. And like the ref is, most refs are looking up at these giants and they mightn't agree with the ref's decision, but they'll accept it and they're courteous about it. Like you've Premier League players, they're getting into refs' faces and it's, you know, and I think that kind of, there you go, that kind of sums it up. Nevertheless, you do like soccer, and you oh, do like you God, do like Everton, Everton, Everton oh, yeah, and not um, not the Everton just over the road here. Now we're on about the Merseyside Blues, <laughs> of course, the Toffees. It's been a, a challenging season, but they might just stay up. Um, how far does your love affair go back with Everton FC? Uh, 1978 really? is when I started supporting them. I kind of got into football in or around, I guess, the 70. Yeah, in around it's kind of 76, 77. And my brother was a Liverpool fan and my dad was an Arsenal fan. So I was kind of going, OK, I need to support the team. And my brother was like, well, you better support Liverpool. So the Merseyside derby was coming up. And I went, I tell you what, whoever wins, I'll support. And Andy King got the winner for Everton. Amazing. And they won 1-0. And I've kind of really got into them. And then the 80s was brilliant, the Howard Kendall days. Although they didn't start great, they were brilliant. And I think Everton, unfortunately... The ban from Europe is what ruined Everton because we would have went on to win the European Cup, in my opinion, the following year and we probably would have went on to be one of the bigger sides. But sure, once the Allure Europe was gone, it was hard to get players. And yeah, we're where we're at now this season. It's not the first season I've... It's been squeaky bum time. But I think we may... Last six games, we've won three, drawn two and lost one. Mm-hmm. And the one last was against Liverpool. But I think Frank Lampard took his time to build the players self-esteem back up because whatever happened under Benitez it destroyed them mm-hmm. now I know they're professionals and they're getting paid and they should really just get on with it but I think we may just escape I think Arsenal are the top team the longest team in the top flight and then us and yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine actually worked with him who's a Liverpool fan and he was laughing saying he hopes we go down and this guy's in his 30s so I reminded him that through his whole lifetime he has been able to watch a Merseyside derby twice a year. And if we go down, that's gone. Yeah. And he said he didn't care. So I told him he's not a true football fan. Have you been to Goodison? Would you believe? No. Okay. Never. I got married young. I had kids young. I got married twice. And all that kind of got in the way. And every time the opportunity came up, you know, when you're a young parent, kids, they just rule the roost. But now this season... Uh, I've become a member of the Cork Everton Supporters Club. Um, I met the lads for the first time in the venue bar for the Merseyside Derby. Graeme Stewart was over for, for it. Everton sent him over as a, Lovely. you know, from the club as an ambassador of the club. So we're meeting now this Sunday. So the, one of the advantages of being a member of it is number one, I've never been in a room with so many Everton fans at the one time, which is wonderful. Everybody has an interesting story as to how they got into Everton. You know, it's not like Man United or Man City because <laughs> they were winning everything. You know, everyone has. And I think and, and anyone there, I think they're a true lover of the club. So by being a member of it too, it means that I'll get to go to Goodison now next year. I'll, uh, at my age, I'll achieve the, a, a kid's dream come true. Excellent. Yeah, oh, you'll enjoy that for sure. Oh, man, yeah. 
And what is it you love most about Cork, Pierce? I mean, we're at the lock today. This is pretty much home for you, this area, is it? Yeah, I was actually only born just up the road um, in Greenmount Avenue. I spent my first six months there because my mother was from there. I was christened in the lock church just up the road. So I do feel very much at home here. I always refer to the lock as the heart of the city. You know, it's a beautiful day here. And look at it, you know, it, it, it shines out here. Here we are with this amazing feature in the, middle of a, in the middle of a city, you know, there's not too many other cities can claim to have something like this. So yeah, uh, what do I love about Cork the most? It's home. I love the, pr- the pride that people from Cork have about being from Cork, yeah. you know? Cork and then the rest of the country is not Cork. I love that. I love our history in sport. You know, the Dubs, very good at football. Kerry, very good at football. Now, Cork can't claim to be very good at anything right now. However, historically, and I think it'll come again, we've been good at football. We've been great at hurling. We've had great basketball teams. We've Munster rugby, Cork City, Cove Ramblers. You know, even club rugby. Cork Connor, probably the best club rugby team in the country. Hockey, our hockey teams do well. It's just got this amazing sporting richness. The arts, we've got amazing actors, filmmakers, you know, theatre heads, we've amazing musicians, we've amazing poets, it's a foodie capital, we've got West Cork, what's not to love about being from Cork? It has everything. You know, this is the real capital, as we say. I was going to say that next time. I suppose, like, when you're off air, when you're not training, when you're not watching Everton, when you're not walking, (laughs) do you read, do you listen to podcasts? You you obviously listen to music, I suppose. So I often ask the guests, what are they reading, listening to, watching at the moment that you'd recommend? Um, I got into this, I'd like doing kind of deep trawls on Spotify. Uh, I have this habit of finding bands and then... You know this thing, what I love about Spotify is you play the album through and then they're going to play artists that sound like them. And you, I'm after finding this German guy, he's a singer-songwriter, David Navori. And in work, not only do I do news, I also cover the Arts House show on a Sunday morning when Al Maria's off. So I, it's, it's a great opportunity because you can play all your own music there, you know. Um, so, But David Navori is a guy that people should check out. Um, the band Camino. They're an American band. I discovered them during lockdown. Really, really good. And they're really starting to kick ass now in the States. Uh, won't be too long, I think, before they start coming over here. Um, Books-wise, I read a fantastic book uh, only a couple of weeks ago, a Northern Irish uh, author called Steve Kavanagh, and the book's called 13. It's kind of like a crime thriller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but ba- the lawyer is the, this lawyer is the main character. Do you know that way? But there's a whole series of books with the one character. But this is the one I came across. Um, I love autobiographies, especially about music stars. I have Dave Grohl's one now that I'm, I've, I've kind of half started it. That's good. Uh, and I'm going to get back into it. You know, I'm going to get into it now because I'm reading a book at the moment. I'll open it and I'll tell you what it's called because it's really good. It's written by an Irish author. Brilliant. And it's written during lockdown. It's called 56 Days. Uh, I've read it as well. By a Cork author, no less. Catherine Ryan Howard. So, hey. Hey. Good man. Um, Cork again. Cork again. No matter where you go, you'll always see someone you know. Um, so yeah, and the thing is, I only kind of got back into reading myself, kind of, I guess during lockdown, because I think I watched all of Netflix. Completed. <laughs> yeah, I completed Netflix. Um, so much so, I have Netflix, I have Disney+, Plus, I have Amazon Prime, I have Apple TV, and there's some nights I have nothing to watch. Yeah. So I kind of, 
always bought books but never read, but always kind of said I'm building a library for the future, so now I've started to read them. And it could be anything. I'm into crime books, I'm into, I love autobiography books about musicians and actors. I like finding out about people's lives, I like hearing their story, you know. Yes, and, and what makes them tick, and that's a question I love asking yeah. guests. What, what makes you tick, Pierce? I mean, you have had, and that's T-I-C-K, not T-H-I-C-K, of course. <laughs> well, uh, you, we'll uh, see. <laughs> you, I mean, you've had your, you've had, you've had fun in, in radio, in yeah. music, you've had success, you've also had your health scares yeah. and uh, setbacks. So today, in 2022, what is it that makes you tick, would you say? Um, what makes me tick? You know what? We're only here. We only got one goal at this life. You know, as I always say, there's a great book, one of my favourite books, No One Here Gets Out Alive. It's a book about Jim Morrison. Because nobody does get out alive. And when you're in your 20s and your 30s and you think, and even I guess for your 40s, you think you're like a superhero and nothing can, you know, stop you. And I always remember, after the doctor told me I came within 10 minutes of dying, sorry, no, within 30 minutes of dying, uh, I always remember sitting one day, I sat and I looked at a clock for 30 minutes and realised just how short a time that was and how close it was and how I was never, ever going to let anything stress me out again. I was going to do things that I wanted to do that were going to enrich my life and hopefully enrich the lives of the people around me. So I'll always have a crack off something because, sure, why not? Like, what's the worst thing that can actually happen? So I guess the things that kind of get me tick is, uh, keep me ticking is I'm passionate about things. And when I get stuck into something, I get super stuck into it. But that's okay. I'm a grandson. <laughs> My grandson makes me tick. On that note, we'll leave it there, Pierce. Listen, great to see you. And thanks a million for your time. My pleasure. Listen, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>